Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the Rank Officer Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Do you know what? I'm a little bit subdued, um, yeah. unfortunately. I love to come in here with uh, with a great amount of energy, but I'm um, not feeling so great. So I'm resting up a little bit ahead of the World Cup. Rather it happen now than during. I might speak a little bit less today. Jack, you might get to say even more. Well, that's the things that nobody wants to hear, really, on, on the podcast. I imagine there are people switching off as we speak. Yeah, we just lost everyone. Yeah, everyone's gone. Everyone's gone. Of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. I'm good. I'm good. Um, well, Sam needs to recover quick because we've got a lot of work to do this week. We've got a lot of World Cup stuff to, to, to do. Uh, the time is nearly here, lads. The World Cup starts in 12 days. Yeah, yeah, we're we're really starting to roll up to it. I, I, it's mad. I've used it's this, mad. I've used this allegory before, but there's a like it's almost a bit like you know when you get you're, you're going somewhere and you're walking through a forest, and then suddenly you're there and you're like, oh, <laughs> I didn't notice because there was trees all around me. Like that's that's how I feel about the World Cup. Be like, oh, I've been so focused on the club season that oh, we're just there. The World Cup is upon us, and, and and here we are. Squads being announced. It's all very exciting. Um, but let's start off with some things we love shall we and sam why don't you kick us off yeah start with that was a terrible analogy um but okay we'll move into things we <laughs> it's love because we he got us lost in a forest once and then suddenly he worked out that we had actually found our way out by coincidence <laughs> unbelievable good throwback <laughs> having good this slander on this podcast i mean look the thing i love this week is is these um celebration videos that we're seeing uh, mostly from Brazilian footballers, um, but I'm sure we'll get to see a few more from other nations as well. This week, we've been finding out who is and is not in the World Cup squads. And those that are finding out that they are in the squads are obviously filming their reactions with their families and their loved ones. And it's genuinely really beautiful and really nice. And it's a lovely reminder that, yes, obviously, this World Cup is extremely contentious and for good reason. We're going to continue to talk about the reasons why it's wrong and why it shouldn't be hosted when and where it is. But ultimately, when you boil it down, this is still a footballer's number one and first dream. And for these Brazilian players in particular, where the sense of representing your nation is such an honour is so strong, um, these guys are basically ticking off lifelong dreams right here and right now. And uh, we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing it with with players like Anthony, um, who, you know, uh, his dog looked very confused, but um, the people in the room were all jumping and screaming and dancing. And then he had a lovely embrace with, um, with, with with one of his family members. We've seen it with a few others. Even Neymar is still, you know, f- delighted, absolutely delighted to get the call. And then, of course, you get the other side of it, which is sad, which is someone like Mateus Cunha, who found out he was not in the squad and... His reaction was really, really sad. But it's about the emotion. Football is always about emotion and you're you're seeing it here. Um, the other part of this I really like is that, you know, I've been running this big old list of World Cup injuries. Yes. Well, I'm starting to take players off the list. And that's, yeah, that's actually nice. done a lot for me, um, you know, in terms of starting to smile again and like getting really excited for the World Cup. Because when you are the, uh, when you are the, the person that writes this list out, it gets quite depressing. I'm not going to lie. Like when the, when the list hit like 30 names, I was like, 
well, this is sad. I don't know why I'm doing this. Um, but now I'm starting to take them off. I'm starting to see some of the names I thought might not make it, you know, appear in these squads, um, even if they're injured and just going anyway. But you've got guys like Ronald Araujo from Uruguay. You've got Son, who's probably going to go in a mask. You've got players like Aidan Rustic or Rustic. I don't know how to say that one for Australia. He's made it. We didn't think he would. Bubakar Camera, Luca Dean. If they miss out on the squad, it's not because they're injured, because they've played again. That's nice. It's a nice place to be. So it's been a nice Throw Rhys James in there and Kyle Walker. <laughs> Sam's not quite ready to get there yet. He's not ready to, still... uh, to give himself the yeah, excitement. Ready, yeah. Two more names are coming off that list. Yeah, it's still there. Musso, Sam, he's off the list. He played at the he weekend. Is, but he might not make it anyway. Yeah, um, he might not, but he's, but we'll he's off the list but, anyway. Yeah, yeah he's, he's like given himself say, a shot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's a nice kind of feeling to be like, okay, these players are going to make it. And we, we've seen some really nice moments. Weston McKennie and, and Luca De La Torre as well, who we were doubtful about. And they might not play in that first game, but there there does seem to be an overwhelming feeling that they're both going to be going to the World Cup. Um, and also, just to touch on what you said beforehand about the players, did you see Pedro's one? Pedro of Flamengo was yeah. obviously called up for... Uh, for the World Cup, he proposed to his girlfriend after being called up to up to the Brazilian squad, up to the Seleção. So, well, that was nice. That was a nice one to talk about. Carried away in the moment. Yeah, very spare at the moment. Do you think it's uh, our, our old friend Sam Maitland who uh, watched Costa Simacas smash in that penalty for Liverpool in the cup final when just on the spur of the moment decided to propose to his girlfriend? Yeah, I think he's probably the inspiration for Pedro. He was watching I'm pretty those sure channels. It yeah, was 100%. our friend Sam Maitland that started that. Yeah, that's a trend, a trend that was set off indeed. Right, DJ, what have you got for me? we got to talk about MLS Cup final, haven't we? I mean, we did it on the Patreon, so... If you want to go a bit deeper on this, then, then get over there. You should be there anyway because of all the World Cup stuff that's coming. But um, what a final. The greatest cup final of all time. It's not the greatest MLS cup final of all time. It's the greatest final of all time. You will not see this anywhere else ever again. Like, absolutely ludicrous game. There are going to be Man United um, fans screaming 99 down the neck of this podcast. It was only 2-1. This was 3-3. <laughs> There's a massive difference. Um, just the, the manner of the goals, the game, the way it swung. Um, you know, one side jubilant, the other side on their knees. Then it all turns around again. And ultimately, you know, the big twist in the game, LFC goalkeeper hacks down and a, a union player is about to score. Um has to go to hospital with a bad injury, the keeper. Um, and ultimately, it's, it really swings the game. Even though Philadelphia Union went and scored, somehow, somehow in the dying seconds, Gareth Bale scores this, well, giant header. Um, it's such it's, a Bale goal. It's the first and only thing he's really done in an AFC shirt, but what a, what a thing to do. Um, he is now somehow a cult hero for the rest of his life at the club. It's very bail. We're going to see more of this at the World Cup. Um, and then in the penalty shootout, the subkeeper, as an absolute worldie, uh, saves to LAFC win. The place is limbs. It, it just looked amazing. It just looked like one of those games you want to be at, but even just watching it on TV... It was just, well, encapsulating, really. I just want to apologise, too, for right now, because I've got Dylan sat next to me, who you might hear coughing and sneezing throughout this episode. No, Sam's Sam's illness has reached Dylan. Dylan is currently looking at me. Um, 
yeah, he's just sneezed all over himself and he's wondering how I can help him. And I can't because I'm in the middle of a sentence. So, um, <laughs> sorry, mate. Honestly, the heavy, the heavy lifting I have to do in this podcast with Sam not being able to speak and you having well, to look after Lil Dills. Um, the good news for everyone is that Dylan, because he's ill off school today, this is another thing we can love, is that Dylan's going to have his own segment at the end of today's podcast. Um, a reward for being ill and off school is that he's going to be doing the gibberish ranking today. So that's one for you all to hang around with. So yeah, um, don't fast forward straight to the end of the episode just to hear Dylan. Like listen to the main pod first, but it's something to look forward to in like 50 minutes or something. Um, but yeah, two things to love there. The MLS Cup final, amazing. LAFC, they've finally done it. The preview that we did extra as bonus content was worthwhile, was worth the hype because it was the greatest game you'll ever see. And look forward to the end of this show because Dylan is beginning his podcasting career properly. Yeah, exactly. At four, we've we've inducted him into the Ranks Academy, um, yeah. where he's 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 basically lining up to take over this podcast in about sixteen years' time. So it's very exciting, very exciting for for him, and, and very exciting for us as well to have our first apprentice on board. Uh, right, so I'm going to finish things we love with basically an apology to uh, any team that I've spoken about in the last couple of weeks, because every time I speak about someone on here, they seem to collapse the following week. Sam put it on Twitter as it's time for curse of the week and it feels a bit like that at the moment because I talked about Lazio two weeks ago and then they went and lost 3-1 at home to Salernitana I spoke about Braga last week they lost 1-0 at home to Casapia both have bombed out of the Europa League in the weeks after I spoke about them I just want to apologize to their fan bases really because I seem to have just put the a real kind of strong commentator's curse on any club that I've spoke about in, in the things we love section. But yeah, it's, I'm not trying to curse you. I really am really am pleased with watching these clubs and ultimately I feel like I'm, I'm starting to put the the knackers on people. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk about a club this week. I I did want to just shout out the potential moment that there was a leak last night that the USMNT final roster for the world cup, was going to include Fulham's Tim Ream, who has had an absolutely sensational season uh, oh, so yeah. far with the Premier League with Fulham. And it'd be so nice to see him go because he, he's earned that call up. This is very much the swan song of his career. He's coming to the end of it. So for him to to have nudged his way into Bahalter's thinking, I think is is a real touch and, and fully deserved as well. A, a player who has earned his call up with some incredible performances for, for Fulham over the last couple of years. So shout out to Tim Reid. If he is not in that squad, then it is one of the biggest oversights heading into the World Cup because USA do not have any good centre-backs and he is genuinely having a good season. Cameron Carter-Vickers begs to differ. Cameron Carter-Vickers is excellent. He hasn't been playing either. He hasn't been playing. Yeah, because so, he's been injured. Yeah, exactly. But he's so, like, they need players that are informed that they can rely on and that's why you've got Tim Ream. Like Everybody else, like Aaron Long, like no... Tim Ream. Tim Ream is going to help you a lot. He's marking the best players in the world on a weekly basis and actually doing a pretty good job. Yeah, he also has that relationship already with Anthony Robinson. So a big plus for the USMNT. And that's what we're going to end things we love on this week. And we're going to move with that onto our main segment where we're going to be talking about, well, the fact that there is a World Cup in the middle of the season. And we're going to be talking about the teams who it benefits, who are absolutely crying out for this break. uh, And the teams who really, really, really don't want the season to go on hold just yet. So we'll be doing all that after the break. Don't go anywhere. 
Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main segment. We're split it into two, which means that Dean and Sam are doing half each. We're going to start with you, Dean. Are you doing people that want this break or don't want this break? <laughs> Teams that want this break. People that want this break is like Sam, who's ill. Uh, he, he needs the rest. But um, teams that want this break, want the break, um, are, are things I'm going to run through here. And obviously, like this is totally unique. Like we've never been in this situation before, where the season was going on pause in November until, well, for the Premier League, the end of December. Other leagues, even longer. Um, but for a Premier League point of view, yeah, this is. This is the last weekend we're seeing any action until Boxing Day um, and loads is going to happen. But for these three clubs I'm talking about, this could not have come at a better time. Now, generally, this, this segment is going to be like European wide, like it's hard to it's hard to pick a league to focus on, really. But um, Sam's is going to probably be more European than mine. I, I looked across the leagues and I was whittling it down and I just feel... Well, you'll see as I get through them, it's still got a bit of a Premier League feel. The first shout out, though, like it's it's an honourable mention, is to Glasgow Rangers. They're well off the pace now with Celtic. They are they are chasing their tails. They're, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is fighting for his job. They've just lost to St. Johnston. They've just ended a disastrous Champions League campaign with the worst record in, in history. They got a couple of absolute pastings. Um, and that, that is a team that really does need this break. So I'm not going to go into too much depth on that one, but Glasgow Rangers, enjoy it and maybe think about getting a new manager. But I'm going to start with a team that actually do have a new manager. At number three, it is Wolves. Look, Lopetegui's in, and this is great news. It's an exciting appointment, pretty much the best appointment they could have made at this moment in time. He now needs to analyse the squad, save their season, basically. Um I hope this team becomes more exciting in the second half of the season. I certainly think that they're going to be a lot, lot better in the second half of the season. The likes of Ruben Neves aren't going to be tempted to jump ship at the moment. And I think that Lopetegui will sign a couple of seriously good players in the January window. He's taking the team away to Spain for a mini break, get to know them all, well, the ones that he's got, um, and assess them firsthand. There's massive potential here for a complete turnaround in Wolves' season. Think of Newcastle this time last year. They were terrible, like proper rubbish. They literally had not won a game at this stage of last season, Newcastle. And you were like, what on earth is going on here? They're going down. Eddie Howe took stock, added some very good players in the January. They they built this way of playing. And in the second half of the season, they won 12 matches. And from then, look where they are now. Like they're battling for Champions League positions. I'm not saying that Wolves turnaround will be quite as good as that. But Lopetegui can definitely inspire a turnaround that is close to this. Like Wolves have got a good squad. And if they sign a goal scorer, if they can sign a centre-back, if they can just sort out a few problems in that team and change the feeling within that squad, then there's no doubt that that squad has the capability to get back in the top half of the table because it doesn't take too much. Wolves will back him. They're willing to give him money. So during this break, when Wolves do press reset and start all over again, they'll it'll feel like such a relief. It really will. I think that they'll be sat there, those that can just enjoy in the World Cup as a, as a mode of escapism. And I think that Lopetegui will just be fully... Well, it would just be throwing himself into video analysis and studying the stats and figuring out how he turns this season around. But this team definitely, definitely want a break. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I think that Wolves will turn it around. I agree with you. But I do wonder 
how he goes down at Molyneux because Lepetsky is a brilliant manager, um, but he's also a relatively defensively minded manager. And I think we saw this towards the end of his time at Sevilla, where the crowd had been willing to put up with the fact that his football was a little bit stodgy and a, you know a little bit pragmatic because they were winning things and they were challenging at the top top end. But as soon as it started to go wrong, suddenly everyone was like, well, we're not even enjoying it. And and that that's therefore unenjoyable. And, and I do wonder because there's been this shift at Wolves, obviously away from that kind of slightly more dogmatic style that they employed under, under Nuno. They tried to move away to a slightly more attacking style under Bruno Lage. It didn't quite work. Um, across the course of it, I do wonder what the what the feeling in the camp is like at Wolves because maybe people will look at it and think, okay, you know, we've had hey, we tried to move away from it, it didn't work. We're okay with becoming more defensively solid again if it moves us back up the table and back into the the reaches of of not this season but maybe next season being able to compete for those last European spots, being in in the conversation for maybe the Conference League. That's where we feel like we can be. But there is this overwhelming question of if it doesn't go well and they're languishing, even sort of 13th, 14th on the edge of things, are people going to get fed up with the fact that Lepetsky plays a slightly more dogmatic style quickly? Mm. And, and that that's my only question mark over this appointment. I mean, like yeah. you say, I think it's probably about as good as they could have got. I don't I don't think and we, you know, we talked about this with Emery and Aston Villa recently that. You know, even if there are question marks over over the managers, can you can you see them bringing in a better manager than Julian Lepetsky at Wolves? And I don't think the answer is yes. I think I think I think this is about as high as they could possibly have reached. But I, I just wonder if it doesn't turn around quickly, if people will get fed up with things. But as you say, this is a massive opportunity to to hit that reset button. Yeah, exactly that. And look, I mean, from where they were under Bruno Large, like anything would have done, right? Like there was there was it, it was such a a bad vibe is such a bad place to be Wolves and, and the players just seem to have no hope um, look coming out of the international break their first game back is Everton away and they got Man United at home Aston Villa away um, they're games that you've got to be competing in at the very least and I think you can try and win you know certainly Everton away like that's that's a match whereby it would be anyone's game especially on the back of a, a tournament where you know there would have been injuries nobody's got any form all these sorts of things so be a massive opportunity and even the man united home game as a first home match i think that's quite a nice one to be honest so wolves know... have a great record against man united at molyneux they always exactly. win so the fans will remember that they will urge this team on they'll get behind lobtegi in his first game and it wouldn't surprise me at all for the 30th of december we're seeing an upset and, and Wolves actually do beat Man United. And it can be a moment like that that just spurs on that belief that they can actually turn things around. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go on to number two, shall we? Well, number two is Union Berlin. Um, I think this lot are totally exhausted by the by the look of things. And Jack, I want you to fill us in with a bit more detail in a minute because it looks like they really do need a rest. And I know that you will know a bit more about this than me. But look, they've had such a good season. They've beaten big teams, Dortmund, Leipzig, uh, got something out of Bayern. Their last game, though, was a 5-0 defeat to Bayer Leverkusen, who have having a really bad season. They're 14th at the moment, but the way they started this season was a complete disaster, considering they were expecting to be up in the reaches that Union Berlin have been in, to be honest. like They thought they were going to be certainly in the top four, maybe even pushing to try and win the league. Um, all of the goals, too, in that 5-0 defeat came in the second half. Um, I mean, all the signs are there that this team are exhausted. They're still up there. They're in third spot. They're two points off, off Bayern in top. 
but I just get the feeling um, from afar that if you want a fairy tale like this to continue, then you probably do want your players to have a moment to, one, reflect on what they've achieved already, but two, actually just take a break and plan the next part of the strategy. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And this second half performance was that. It was one of sheer exhaustion. Now, Union haven't got the biggest squad in the world. They are a smaller club, in inverted commas, in terms of their finances and, and what they're spending. Um, their goalkeeper, Frederick Ronner, got, got injured uh, a couple of games ago and it's not been great in terms of, of, of trying to replace him. There's a couple of players suspended for their next Europa League game, which will come obviously in the spring. It just feels like the two games a week, almost every week, has really started to get on top of Union, and 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 ultimately, it's nothing to be nothing to be overly worried about. I don't think in terms of, of where they are. This is a squad punching above their weight. They've always said every time that people have been like, "Oh, can you challenge for the title?" They're like, "We'd like to survive." Like, oh, right, <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. Um, so so obviously they've been you know been playing brilliantly. They've had the meanest defense in the Bundesliga. They've been incredibly hard to break down. They're a side that knows how to play from the back and, and build from that kind of solid wall of defence. Uh, and this kind of collapse in the second half against Leverkusen was worrying for that exact regard, right? It was the fact that this is a team who've been so good defensively, completely and utterly falling apart. And the manner of some of these goals conceded as well, you know, some really ridiculous errors um, from from the defence and from the goalkeeper. Some goals just hit on the break that they almost like looked like they were running through mud trying to catch up with, with the players breaking on them, the Leverkusen players. And it, it just all feels, I think, as you say, that they're exhausted. There's a moment here where they're like, we've, we've, we've basically maybe not bitten off more than we can chew because that's unfair, but that we've been competing really hard on two fronts and that basically that's now having its having its due on these players and, and, and on the kind of fitness and, and, and ability to play on this squad. And they just feel like they're right in the mix for people who need a, a full just, whoa, breather, because everything being truncated this season, obviously last season they were in Europe as well, but they basically just didn't really show up. Uh, in the Conference League. It, it never really kind of kicked off for them. This year, they've been much better in terms of their, their Europa League performance. But you're still looking at this side and going, OK, can you can you kick on? Have you got the capacity to, to compete on these two fronts throughout the rest of the season? And right now, the answer feels a bit maybe no, because it's obviously taken its toll so heavily on the physical condition of these players so yeah I think you're absolutely right in terms of teams who just need the breather who need to just sit and go whoa that was a lot can we have a, a bit of a break now please and and maybe in January we need to bring in a few more bodies just to flesh out the squad a little bit that we can we can actually compete on these fronts I, just, I, I think you're absolutely right they, they're a team that are crying out for a breather crying out for the break um, and they obviously have two more games to go but once they get through those games um, it, it'll be time for, for Union Berlin to reset and take stock, as you say, of, of what they've already achieved this season. There was they, They've dropped down to third in the Bundesliga, but they were top until this weekend. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to like about what their season's done so far. But equally, it just feels like this break is coming at the right time for them. Yeah, it does definitely feel like that, doesn't it? So um, we'll have to wait and see, but hopefully they can stay on track in their season in the second half. Um, look, number one, as I say, I tried to... Look, look around far and wide, but I just couldn't couldn't stop coming back to this team. The team that need a break more than anyone else in world football were Liverpool. 
that like this is it's been a complete disaster. Do you mean they're back and, on form? Two wins in a row. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's just no avoiding the fact that this is. You think it's getting better, and then it doesn't, and that's the problem. Like, yeah, you, you say that, and you look towards the even the weekend game. You think, right, they got Southampton at home. That should be five nil. It probably won't be. Probably Nathan Jones inspiring Southampton to a 1-0 win or something ridiculous. <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of worth a fiver because the, the Liverpool that we've seen this season are so unreliable, it's actually frightening. They've lost five games. That is unheard of. Totally unheard of in, in recent seasons when they've been, well, they've been a dominant force along with Man City, haven't they? And to be eighth in the league and 15 points behind Arsenal at this stage... That's ridiculous. That is so bad. Now, look, we've we got to look, too, at the injury list. And, and this is one of the reasons that I think they really want the break. At the moment, you're looking at, like, Luis Diaz, Diego Jota, Joel Matip, James Milner's had a problem, Artur's had a problem, Naby Keita's always got a problem. Uh, recently, Thiago's had problems um, on and off that, you know, keeps coming back in and going back out again. Um They've had so many different injury and selection issues and they really, really need this to clear up. And looking through like the timelines and some of those injuries I've just listed, it looks like in the second half of the season, after we've had the World Cup, that they should be available again. They should be available. And I think that that is so, so key to making this work for them. Also too, Klopp needs mental space, right? Like he too needs... He, every week he's had to try to fix something new and he's had new for, new players and new formations. They haven't put more than two wins in a row together in the Premier League so far. Like that's how much it has been of a struggle for him. And I think he'll be so relieved, honestly, to get to the weekend and then to just start all over um, once we get to, to Boxing Day. And it'll be really interesting to see what he decides to do in January too and decides if actually they do need a bit of a refresh. Yeah, I think that's spot on. It, it does feel like it's a, a team that just could do with with a breather. And look, we were talking about the Champions League draw on Monday's pitch and post box. And we were talking about the fact that right now, I mean, I know Real Madrid lost as well last night, so they're, they're not in the, the best shape in the world either. But right now, that Liverpool-Real Madrid game feels like a, a, a major issue. It feels like, a, oh God, that's the last thing we wanted. But by the time that February rolls around, Liverpool may well be in a much better mental headspace, but also a, a much better clean bill of health. And and as you say, that that's really, really important. Now, it looks like the Premier League title is is already gone. And, and so that kind of does play into the fact that they won't have to scrap on every single front. Obviously, they're going to have to fight to, to get into the top four with, with a lot of the teams around them doing, doing well so far. But you look at it and think, Liverpool can probably do that as soon as they have this bill of health again. Now, obviously, this season was going to be transition, especially in terms of, of moving from Sadio Mane to Darwin Nunez. But when you're when you're looking at things and, and looking at this Liverpool squad as a whole, it's still good enough on paper to be competing across the board. And it's still good enough to hold its own with the best teams in Europe. And we've seen that, right, this week, because they've gone and beaten Napoli 2-0 at Anfield. Yes, the game was slight dead rubber, but fine. And then they've beaten Tottenham 2-1 in North London. And, and those are two big, big results for Liverpool and two results that I think everyone at the club needed from around. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole our Liverpool up for sale debate because I, I don't necessarily think that we, we need to right now. But when you... Well, it's not a debate, they're up for sale. Up, 
Well, okay, but are, are they going to be bought? Are they up for sale permanently? Is it yeah. like a they need to be sold, it, or is it's it definitely a... unclear? The, the messages are unclear. Yeah, but I don't think that's kind of the, the the main issue here. I think it's the fact that Liverpool feel like they've that hangover from last season has really kind of played a part in 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 this year, and that kind of truncated summer window where there wasn't the full time to recover. There wasn't maybe the the squad rotation and and squad refresh that that maybe Liverpool needed. This gives them that opportunity to just kind of take stock of exactly where they are, have a little bit of a breather, get everyone back in in a couple of weeks, and start to work through things again. Now, lots of these players are obviously going to be in Qatar: Alisson, Fabinho, Virgil Van Dijk. Um, but you know they're, they're seeing more and more players not go. Obviously, Jota's injured; he won't be going. You're you're looking at Roberto Firmino who didn't get selected in this Brazil squad. Mohamed Salah is going to take a breather because Egypt didn't qualify. There's a lot of these players who are going, okay, they're actually going to be there at Kirby working on things by by the end of this window and, and maybe given that kind of time to, to just get their groove on again, just get their, their things working again from that what worked last season and obviously haven't quite gone to plan this season. So I think much as they have had a good week, this is this is completely correct in that they they need to just reset mentally and and get themselves into a place where they're excited for the second half of this season where they can look to compete maybe in the Champions League and the two cup competitions uh, as kind of favorites again um but also be able to, to to kind of see themselves into the top 4 so that they don't lose out on playing in the Champions League next season Really interesting to to look back on this and in May and and just see where these three teams have actually ended up. I'm actually quite fascinated by it. Like it's such a big six months ahead for all three of these sides. I was yeah. quite interested to see where you were going to go with this, Dino, because I was looking down the Premier League table and I was like, there are literally about three, maybe two teams here that that don't want to break, and the other like eighteen of. Could you could argue they all need it? Like yeah. so, so much. Like Southampton, obviously, new manager. Aston Villa, new manager. Wolves, who you mentioned. Nottingham Forest, that lot still need to learn each other's names in a sort of icebreaker session. Um, it, it's actually Chelsea, only Chelsea really like, is the one that, that jumped out to me. Chelsea are yeah. desperate for a break. They do. They need. They need some time on the training pitch with Graham Potter. I don't know how many players are going to be around to do it, but they need a bit of time. Even teams like you know Bournemouth feel like they sort of picked up, didn't they, for a bit? They've lost four in a row. Like they might actually appoint a manager now. They might decide that Gary O'Neill's not the the man to go for. You never know. Like it's it's it feels like the Premier League in particular, just a bit of a minefield. And and I think a lot of them are going to be really grateful for this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, lost the plot a bit, everyone. Everyone has lost the plot a bit, but I think that's to do with the, the nature of this season, right? And, yeah. and you talked about the injuries Probably. right at the start, Sam, uh, and the players on that list. That all plays into this. You know, the fact that the, the games have been shoved into a smaller window, the fact that players are going to be asked more and more to, to play regularly and, and play in games that really matter, especially in Europe and, and, and the midweek games in the domestic leagues as well. There's no real room for for anyone to be like, okay, I can maybe take this game a little bit easier. Maybe I can have this midweek off. It, it, there's been none of that. And I think all of that is playing into the, the season that we're seeing so far. Yeah. I mean, watching the Champions League draw on Monday afternoon, uh, you know, the, the Secretary General or whatever his name is, steps out onto the stage and goes, it's been a unique season for the Champions League group stage. We've played all six games in a nine-week span. I was like, oh my God, you're right. Nine weeks. That's crazy. Mm. Like, it has been nonstop. And a lot of these players, I'm sure in the back of their minds, 
maybe have going been going a little bit at 70-80% because they've got their eye on the World Cup. You know, they're only human if they're doing it. They're only human. And that impacts form and that impacts these teams as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, let's roll onwards to the teams that could not do with a World Cup break. Shall we, Sam? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I start at number three, which was originally going to be Benfica, but thinking about it a little bit more deeply, I'm actually not sure that it matters to them that there's going to be some disruption. Um, maybe it does, but ultimately I don't think they're actually going to be too worried about it. So I made a last minute change and I've decided to put PSV Eindhoven here, go a little bit more left field. Now PSV have just beaten Ajax away from home, huge result. And in doing so, they've leapfrogged Ajax in the table. Ideally, you want to use that as a platform. You want to use that as a momentum generator, but their opportunity to do so is is really quite limited because they stop playing next week. And, you know, for those that don't know as well, Ajax are very clearly a weaker side this season than in seasons past. The sales have sort of caught up with them and they're having to reload a little bit. They feel like a team that can be toppled here. And PSV have just put themselves in a really good position to do so and are then going to lose that momentum and, and lose that ability to make that away win a, uh, a bit of a platform for them. And then the other uh, the element here is Cody Hakpo. Nine goals, 12 assists at the time of recording. What if he goes to the World Cup, plays as that free-roaming 10 that those last few games in the last break suggested? Absolutely stars. And actually, it turns out that this weekend, Cody Hatpo is going to make his final appearance at Piers V. Eindhoven. Now, wouldn't that be a kick in the teeth for a team who are looking to try and topple Ajax and try and use that momentum and, and try to win this league title to lose possibly the best player in the division? because he goes to the World Cup, nails it, and then he goes and moves on. That would be a massive problem. So for PSV, I think they'll be feeling ugh, just a bit just a bit irritated with, with, with how the stars have aligned for them. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. It, it feels like they... That was a massive result, as you say, at the weekend. And I didn't really think about the Ajax angle in terms of the fact that Ajax... It, we haven't really considered in this, when teams are in a, in a title race what the what the opposite team would do. And, and if the fact that Ajax need a break actually majorly hurts PSV that they don't um, in that regard. So yeah, I, I like that angle on it. And and I think you're absolutely right. You know, they've played really well in the Europa League of late as well. Um, they had a, a little bit of a blip in, in the league a couple of weeks back. But, you know, ultimately this is a team that are, are on the up and are in the ascendancy and feel like they're moving in the right direction. And so... Yeah, I think this is a nice one and I appreciate your extra nuance in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, look, there's an argument that Cody Hatpo leaves in January anyway, but then if that's the case, then, well, PSV would get five or six more games out of him between now and January, right, before he would leave. So yeah. that, 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 that opportunity disappears. So even if he would leave anyway, well, how many games can Cody Hatpo win you in, in out, out of five? Probably five is the answer. So... There you go. There's some points. That's points that you, you, you might lose out on. And they've got Xavi Simons. So they've got an exciting team. But yeah, this I, th- I think this World Cup is going to be a slightly difficult watch for some PSV fans as they really want their best player to do well. They really want their nation to succeed. But, you know, it's that it's that, so that, that torn feeling, isn't it, between that and like, please don't take, please don't take our star boy. Don't be, be good, but don't be too good. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's such a tough one to kind of look at and think, oh no, how are we gonna how are we gonna play this out? But it, it yeah. does feel like something that's going to be under the spotlight and and, and under yeah. the microscope as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll move us on to number two, and this is where we have to say Napoli. I think uh, Napoli, as we record, obviously there's a midweek round of fixtures to come, but as we record, they are nine straight league victories. Rolling into that game at Anfield, they were on a 12-game win streak, not unbeaten streak, win streak. Uh, everything is going right for Napoli right now. And um, I'm not trying to uh, to diminish their accomplishments, but part of this is the surprise factor and the element of surprise that Napoli have been able to enjoy over the course of the season so far. Because we all sat there and we were like, well, how the hell are Napoli going to compete? How are they even going to make the top four if they've sold or released three or four, maybe five really important players. I sat there all summer and talked about it. Now, obviously the downside to losing those players is you lose a lot of your identity. The upside is that you are a completely different outfit. And as we know from the past, football in general can be very, very slow to react to surprises and changes. You need to look at how Teams continually played high up against Jamie Vardy when Leicester won the title for about 25 match weeks before someone went, I'm going to admit, that bloke's quite fast. Should we drop our defensive line? <laughs> it took so long for them to react. And with Napoli, they've been enjoying the fact that no one really knows what on earth they're supposed to be doing when Kavara attacks you. And no one really understands quite still how good Kim Min Jae is. And so Napoli have, have rocked up. They look completely and utterly different. The crush of the schedule has meant that very little tactical preparation has been possible for a lot of the teams that are facing Napoli, and they have just ridden this wave. They have been amazing. The problem for them is that come January, with about a month's break or so, all the analysts in Serie A and across Europe are going to be able to sit down and look at that and really come up with a better plan for how to attack or maybe contain or maybe even beat Napoli come January. I'm not saying the form is going to fall off a cliff, but this lovely surprise element that's been a, a nice undercurrent to their form and has been a, 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 at points probably helps them along the way, that might just diminish ever so slightly. And when it's when, when you're looking at the fine, fine margins of this Serie A title race, you know, any, any negative percentage point there is a problem. And, and Napoli have been basically perfect in the league almost perfect and then it's not like they're miles clear is it so there is there is there is there is scope there there's there's there are two wins clear and and like it's six points it's it's very assailable um very very assailable so i'd be a bit annoyed if i was napoli i'm losing my momentum i'm also losing possibly an element of surprise factor yeah yeah i think you're absolutely spot on um but it's (laughs) I don't know. I think it's going to be very hard to stop Napoli because of the the, the kind of dynamism that they have in this squad, but also the fact that they can switch things up. And and look, Spalletti has has had ups and downs, obviously, as a manager across the the course of his career in in Serie A. But ultimately, he is a manager who can be flexible, who can tweak things. And I think what we're looking at at the weekend, where they beat Atalanta 2-1 without Kvaratskhelia, um, when when LFL Mask played on the on the wing, which I don't think even now is his best position, and made that leap to go, okay, he's going to slide out wide, he's going to score the winner, he's going to make things happen for the entire game, uh, and Napoli are going to see off the team that were, I would say, to this point, their closest challengers in the league. 
relatively comfortably whilst missing the player who has been their brightest light so far this season. And I think that's testament to Spalletti's management ability, uh, but also to the fact that this Napoli squad are deeper and more talented than I think anyone really knows. And and to be honest, this shouldn't maybe could have been more than than just 2-1. I thought that Napoli were far the better side from the moment that they equalised in this game. And when you're looking at that and thinking about it, and you're talking about a team of Atalanta's quality who haven't been brutalised by injuries, who've had a good run, and who haven't had the issues of midweek football to contend with this season, that's a major, major win. And if Napoli can do that here, as everyone is just coming towards the tail end of this break, I have no doubt whatsoever that they can explode out of the blocks again as well. The other thing is that Napoli squad or the star men in, in Napoli squad, Kvaratskhelia, Aussie men, aren't going to the World mm. Cup. This is more time on the training pitch for them. Now, obviously, they're going to lose certain players. Obviously, Zielinski is going to be there with Poland. Obviously, Kim. Andre Frank Zambo and Gies is going to be there with Cameroon. Obviously, Kim is going to be there with Korea. But on the whole, there isn't too many of this squad that I'm like, oh, they're going to lose them and they're not going to be able to work on different things and different uh, elements of this of how this squad performs on the pitch throughout this break. I actually think this might benefit Napoli. I've, I, I'm going to go the other way. I, I think I, Napoli might explode out of this break. I think the last thing you need if you're Napoli and you've won nine in a row is to stop playing football. No, for agreed. A month. I can I completely just, understand your logic, but I think yeah. that getting that time to sit on the training ground, think about how many of this starting eleven aren't going to the World Cup, and you're going right. So we can we can sit here and drill new things, new tactics, new moments with this team. You know, Elmas is there, Osimen. You know, Elmas isn't there. Osimen's not there. Lozano obviously will be there, but Politano won't. Um, Zielinski will be there, but Labotka won't. Uh, Tongi and Dombele yet to be decided. He's We're not, not going to see. Yeah, Di Lorenzo is <laughs> not going to be there. Merritt's not going to be there. Juan Jesus isn't going to be there. Rachmani's not going to be there. This is a lot of players that Spalletti gets a month with to try new things out, to, to make things work. Simeone's not going to be going. There's loads to really like. Raspadori's not going to be going. This is a lot of players that Spalletti gets in to the training ground and goes, right, Look where we are in the league. Let's see this through. And I think that, yeah, Napoli might well explode out of the break. In fact, let's in fact, let's see this through. They're not even gonna they're not even gonna have played half the games by the time the World Cup break comes. It's not seeing it through. They're not even getting. They're just getting started. Napoli are going to win ten games off the international break. In a row. in a row. Wow. I mean, they're probably going to win the next two. So that would make it um, twenty-one games in a row. <laughs> Here we are. This is it. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for Napoli to do it. I'm also ready to stake on it. I called Benfica in the bag on Monday. I'm calling Serie A in the bag. It's so easy to bait you into mistakes. It's not. What are you doing? I made this. I made this statement on Twitter on the weekend. I said if the bag is going to fall apart, I want it to fall apart in something that I believe in firmly, and I believe in Napoli. So unnecessary. Very unnecessary indeed. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> look. I mean, it's a, this is the end of this segment that we've had ongoing for a couple of years because there's no way that both those teams are going to win the league this year. Look, the bag <sighs> is undefeated, is it not? It is currently undefeated. So it when the bag is called, you have to you have to respect it. Right. That's well, our fourth in the bag call for the season. There's only seven. 
Nobody's yeah. invincible, mate. Only seven can fit in the bag. Well, for number one, I'm going to go to the Premier League. Do you fancy calling that one in the bag anytime soon? <laughs> to be honest, yeah, I'm not miles off it. <laughs> Let's go to the Premier League. <laughs> because I think at number one, it has to be Arsenal. And a lot of the logic for Napoli there applies to Arsenal, just in terms of sheer momentum. But um, even more so than that, like with Arsenal, again, the last thing you really want at this point is to stop playing games. I know a lot of people have, have, have talked about, you know, potential issues with squad depth but they've just got through an absolutely brutal October and won seven of nine games and, and drawn one as well like they're, they're doing really well they have a lot of momentum there's a lot of joy in their play there's a lot of belief in their play and again like Napoli if you're in this kind of vein of form the last thing you want to do is put everything on ice for a month and yeah they're going to have some important players go to the World Cup they're also going to get some to stay at home it's kind of a mixed bag in that area but I mean Arsenal have been close to perfect close to perfect to open the season 11 wins a draw and a loss and they are only two points ahead of Man City so they have been almost as good as you possibly can be and their advantage is just two points and now that does is speak to just how ridiculously good Man City are and if the conversation has started to turn towards are Arsenal in the title race? Is this a legitimate title race? And and Dean, you basically said on Monday, yes, absolutely. That shifts the expectation. That shifts the hopes and the optimism. And it's now Arsenal's job, not just to be hanging around near the top and having a good season. For some people, it's now Arsenal's job to win this title. So they've got to hold off probably a 90-point juggernaut because City typically score about 90 points. Again, if you're going to do that, which is one hell of a possible achievement, you don't want to be interrupted when your form is absolutely superb. So for Arsenal, like it's not all doom and gloom. I'm not putting these these teams in in this list to be like, right, well, expect a nosedive for Napoli, Arsenal and PSV. But just quite simply, if you asked Arteta, do you fancy a month break? He'd go, absolutely not. And the stakes could not be higher for him. And the problem for him more so than um, Luciano Spalletti, is that Man City are, in terms of a contender here amongst all these teams, they are just horrific, aren't they? They're just like, if if they're chasing you down, you know you have to be perfect. You know you have to be perfect. And when you get that sniff of momentum, you don't want to, you don't want to let it go. Yeah, it's also the thing that obviously we haven't, we've been denied that Manchester City-Arsenal game in yeah. this period and that's going to obviously be played after the world cup now mm. that's that's killer for arsenal because at the yeah, moment that's... they feel you know we can we can take on anyone they've just gone to stamford bridge and won they've come up against the big guns and and generally done really really well obviously there was the manchester united blip but equally they could have won that game and, and to be honest it was a game that really suited the way that united wanted to play against them arsenal was still the team i felt in the ascendancy for the majority of the game and that's not to take away from manchester united's achievement they were very very good in doing what they did that day but arsenal were maybe a little bit unlucky to, to have lost that game on the balance of play so yeah i think being denied that game before the world cup break is maybe the biggest blow to arsenal here and, and that's that's a real shame yeah, absolutely. And just that momentum or lack or losing that momentum absolutely stings. Um, I mean, look, if you if you if you listen to some pundits that shall remain unnamed because we don't want to encourage them to be listened to, a player like Gabriel Jesus, who hasn't scored for a while, would love this break. Utter nonsense, obviously. Jesus is the heart of the heart of the attack and you know, Martinelli's off to off to the World Cup with Brazil. 
he's only going to take confidence from that. It's a mixed bag in terms of who's going and who's not. I don't think that affects them. I think what affects them is just going stone cold for a month. And it's just the last thing you really want. I, like, I can't emphasize enough. Like, Napoli, Napoli's opposition for their title, like with the greatest of respect to those chasing, they're all significantly weaker than Manchester City. Manchester City are absolutely ridiculous. So the stakes are super high. You have to be perfect. If you're in a great vein of form, you want to keep it that way. If you have to go cold for a month, it's just, it just doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound good, does it? You don't want that. No, and, and also it's the kind of opposite moment to, to Napoli. And you know what I was saying about the training ground. Look at You look at the Arsenal squad that started the game against Chelsea at the weekend. Ramsdale going to the World Cup. Ben White probably going to the World Cup. William Saliba probably going to the World Cup. Granit Xhaka going to the World Cup. Thomas Partey going to the World Cup. Bakayo Saka going to the World Cup. Gabby Jesus going to the World Cup. Gabby Martinelli going to the World Cup. This is not the same situation. There are so many of these players who are going to be out. And also a lot of these players play for nations who will expect to go deep into this tournament, right? These are these are not the kind of, oh, they might be out in the group stages and, and back home to, to work at things at Colney for a month. These are teams who have ambitions of winning the entire tournament. And that, I think, maybe hurts Arsenal in that they don't get that that time on the training ground to work on new things and, and, and kind of change their, their approach and be able to mix things up uh, in the way that Napoli will. And so, so I think that this at number one is probably spot on. Yeah, going to be a rude awakening for Bukayo Saka as well. When he's just done an, an unbelievable half season on the right wing for Arsenal and then we force him to play left wing back because we've got so many injuries. He's going to have to readapt <laughs> to the attack. No, I don't. I don't know if he'd even do that because he's he's likes a defensive wing back, doesn't he? Southgate he doesn't even want to doesn't even want him going forward anymore. <laughs> um, we'll have to wait and see. We don't have I any might. players. He yeah. might do it. Yeah. Definitely don't have any left wing backs. Anyway, it's Ryan well, Sessignon. Tri- it's Ryan Sessignon's season, ladies and gentlemen. It's trippiers, isn't it? It'd be trippiers. But anyway, that's a story for another day. That is a story for another day. And with that, we're going to call a halt to this main segment. Thank you very much, boys, for both of your insights on that. Uh, after the break, we've got Mel of the Week and Dylan's first gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, over to you. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. (laughs) Oh my God, when it comes to melonish behaviour, this is about as bad as it gets. I mean, this bloke's got a history when it comes to melons, but um, this was just silly. So... BT Sport in the UK wanted him to record a promo for the Chelsea-Arsenal game. And, you know, he's there doing a few bits and then the producer just starts getting him to say stuff and he just repeats it all. And he, there comes a point as a footballer where you have to have the common sense to say, no, no, I'm not doing that. That's that's not a good idea. And I don't want, like, have a brain. Where's this PR person to step in and go, no, as a journalist, that's my worst nightmare when somebody steps in and says, don't say this. Don't do what they want to do. It's a bad idea. You've got to protect your clients sometimes. And this was ridiculous. So he's saying, Arsenal, let's go. I'm ready. I'm blue. I'm back. Welcome to the bridge. Nothing Arsenal, personal. It's nothing personal. <laughs> he's even laughing before he says the last bit because he knows how ridiculous it is that the bloke's getting him to say this. Look, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe Aubameyang just doesn't care. But it looked really silly. I think it motivated Arsenal. And then he put on a four out of 10 performance. 
That's probably being generous. That's kind, yeah. Yeah, that's probably being generous. Sorry. I Two saw, out of ten performance. I saw a lot of Chelsea fans on Twitter going like, well, we've lost now, haven't we? Like, as soon as it came out, they were like, we've lost now. That's the end of that. There's there's no way we recover from that kind of thing. To be to, to give I mean, a little bit of defense, and I was talking about this with, with Jay Harris on The Athletic, and we were talking about and he said he's seen the behind-the-scenes videos from the shoot. And Aubameyang is clearly incredibly uncomfortable with what's being asked. I watched asked it too. Him. I saw it too. Uh, but yeah, he is. And he laughs. Like, but he says it straight away. He doesn't even give it a second thought. You've got to have a better yeah. brain than that. Yeah. You've, got, you've, got to, you've got to be smarter than that and think about what you're actually doing here. Um, it's like I heard um, the other day that Callum Wilson was on a podcast and it was on an FPL podcast and said, yeah, it's been a tough week, actually. I've had a, I've had a bit of a sniffle. And he said it casually on a podcast. And then suddenly stories were like, Callum Wilson's a doubt for the game. And, so, and Eddie Howe in his press conference then talked about it. It was like, it'd be handy if players didn't go on random podcasts giving out team news. Um, and as you know, as a player, you've just got to be smarter. And look, Gabriel ended up using it as ammunition. He, after the win, he said, nothing personal. London is red and fair play to him. Like, absolutely fair play. Aubameyang deserves that. It's not the first time that Gabriel shot back at someone who's, who's said something about Arsenal, is it? We did no. the same with Ivan Tony earlier in the season. No, exactly yeah, right. no, I'd agree. Uh, a, bit it, a bit melanish. It must be a day ending in Y because Aubameyang is melon of the week. Indeed, indeed. Back on, back on the pod. Welcome back, Pierre. It's good to have you. Um, right. It's very exciting. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Dylan Jones, with his first ever gibberish ranking. How are you, Dylan? Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I love ranks of <laughs> you sound like you're being made to do this at gunpoint, which is a worry. Um, yeah, it's a bit worrying. Yeah, so Dylan, I was taking the gibberish off of, of Sam this week and Dylan now being at home decided he wanted to join in when I was trying to figure it out earlier and I was asking him some questions. So we're going to talk about Dylan and Reese's favourite musical artists and songs that they like to listen to. Okay, what have we got? At number three... We've got Kid Cuddy because he sings "Stars in the Sky," doesn't he, Dylan? And what song? What song is that from? Sonic Two. Sonic Two, yeah. And so, tell everyone why you like Sonic Two. Because it's my favorite movie. It's your favorite movie. And uh-huh. what do you like about that song? Because it's my really favorite and it's sonic movie yeah you like to watch the video of it as well don't you yeah sam loves kid cuddy so i, I can see him celebrating in the corner yeah yeah, yeah sam yeah. really likes that yeah he's one of my favorite possibly my my favorite artist so uh yeah yeah i think it's yeah, good to didn't know, really realize until recently that he's sung it but yeah. it's good to know that dylan's being raised well <laughs> yeah it was complete coincidence mate but yeah uh, that's good that's good anyway at number two do you remember who's number two, Dylan? Taylor Swift. <laughs> now, why do you like Taylor Swift? Because Reese does. Because Reese does, but what else? Because it's the same name as Mum. She's got the same name as Mum. Yeah. Okay. That they are two really good They're reasons. Good reasons. Yeah, I like them. So basically, Taylor Swift's new album is like just constantly played in our car. Yeah. And Antihero. They they literally yes. both sing along to Antihero, and it's like yeah. And what does Reese say every day? 
Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, yeah, that's right. Okay, and at number one, their favourite artist, it's not Taylor Swift, but who's the other one you really like? Harry Styles. Harry Styles. It is Harry Styles. And um, the other day, actually, Reese was watching football and he said, who's that? And I said, that's Harry Kane. He said, no, it's Harry Styles. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> that's how obsessed he is with Harry Styles. So why do you like Harry Styles more than Taylor Swift? Because it's a boy and it's like a proper chain. <laughs> it's a boy and it's a proper chain. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I mean, Harry's House is a cracking album. It's a great album, isn't it, Deal? Yeah. So we started listening to Harry Styles when we were on holiday in California in the summer. And I must have heard that album uh-huh. 400 times. Uh, but you, lo- you really like it, don't you? Yeah. Do you remember any songs? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Fantastic. Anything else you want to say before you end your gibberish ranking? We love Princess Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll say as debuts go, that's about as, as as good as we've had in a long, long well, Dylan time. Dylan wants to be a podcaster, don't you, Dylan? You can't nod your head. You won't get very far in podcasting. <laughs> but um yes, this is this is his first step. He's four. He's got Wow, that's 16 years to iron things out. Yeah. So we're, look, he's got, we're getting back in a year. He's in a good place. We'll, we'll take a getting yearly check-up to see what, how things are going. Well, he's got his next cough in a year. We'll, we'll bring it back on. Indeed. Well, thank you very cough. much to Dylan. Thank you, Dylan. Bye. Bye. Bye, mate. Um, and on that bombshell, we are going to call things a day. And all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to our rank god, head of dispatch and third-choice Norwegian bass goalkeeper, Mr. Sam Tai. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much to our 5x5 five five champion, King of the Andals of the First Men, and the Prince of the Andals and the First Men, Dean and Dylan Jones. Bye. I've been Jack Collins, Name of Hearts. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We will see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.